Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, hello. Hello. I think we're going to have to take like fan breaks. Well, yeah, we're definitely going to have to take fan breaks just before we were recording some ad reads and then Grace went to get us more wine and I fully blasted the fan and took my top off for five seconds. Yeah, I'm sitting in a pool of my own sweat already and we're less than one minute in. It is summer in London for the next probably 48 hours. And then yeah, we're back I was going to say not to brag, but like we promised this is the only time of the year where it's hotter than Australia. Yeah, I was sipping on some white wine. I spent the weekend, which like really reminded me of my childhood in New Zealand because New Zealand's kind of that thing where I didn't really know anyone with a pool. I don't know if that was just because we were poor or because um, <laughs> it's like not super hot there. But in lieu of having a pool, we would get a sprinkler or just get the hose and literally be outside playing and then get a hose and just hose yourself from top to bottom. So yeah, that's what that's I did nice. yeah, I on the weekend. The sprinkler. I remember mm. like once my friend told me that you could drink sp- sprinkler water and I drank it and it tasted like garbage, like actual garbage. And it's because it was like boar water. Which has like syringe in it. Oh my god! Talking about yeah. No, yeah. So I was just I was lying in the sun, hosing myself down every. You need to hear. It's not like it's not set up for a fun. It feels like a ghost town. It's so hot when you walk outside. The houses aren't equipped. Yeah, because in obviously in Australia, there's aircon everywhere, right? Especially in Perth. In Perth, it gets like forty-four degrees, but it somehow never feels as hot as it feels right Right now. now. I'm like twenty-one. Well, it's because inside, yeah, there's like in LA, it's fit for aircon, but here they just it's cold all the time, so you you just can't sleep, can't do anything. But it is lush. I'm very into it. I love I love hot weather. I always think I love it, and then when it arrives, I want it to be over. Yeah, I I, get, I need the water. I feel like being so far from the water is not as fun. Yeah, I get boisterous and happy. I text you today being like, I'm ovulating, so we have to record the pod today because I'm in a boisterous, happy mood. <laughs> That's what ovulating. my flow app said. I still need to use flow. It's good. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's good. It just helps me understand if I put on – because I put on, like, two kgs when I get my period. Yeah, and I, I just, just feel eat, bit. I eat, like, an actual wild boar, like, the last four days. I just couldn't believe how much I was putting in my body. Mm. And then it just stops. Yeah, I get the most insane cravings. Had supermarket tiramisu again last night, which I know you don't yeah, subscribe not to. That much of a tiramisu person. We had a we had dinner at a restaurant on the corner up there, and Zach got tiramisu, and it came in like an edible cup, like a waffle cup. Wow, with chocolate lining. You're not a tiramisu fan. I'm not. I thought you weren't a supermarket tiramisu fan. I'm not like I wouldn't pick a tiramisu on a menu, but I don't. Wow. I don't hate it. Wow. 
is too. That's saying something, I think. Mm. I don't really like coffee. Yeah, that's true. I have like four coffees a day. Yeah. So tiramisu, I'm like, get in my fucking stomach. <laughs> anyway, I have a show. Very on the ball. Didn't realize how on the ball I was, in fact, that I tried to watch a new episode last night and there's no more because it's coming out weekly in the US. And mm-hmm. I accidentally watched episode two like live with the US <laughs> thinking this show would come out um... ages ago. But it's called The White Lotus. It is made by the guy who co-created that show I talked about fucking ages on the pod called Enlightened. He co-created it with Laura Dern and it's about her. Yeah, she stars in it. Yeah. She stars in it and she has this like mental breakdown and then she goes back to work and she's super enlightened and is trying to have group yoga sessions in her office. And it's just, it's hilarious. And no one really watched it, but I was going through like a Laura Dern phase. Anyway, so this is his new show and it's about all of these various different families who go to an a Hawaiian island with a resort on it. So like a little private island and there's just the resort. And so it follows all of the families there who are there at the same time. And it's following this honeymooning couple. I forget the guy's, the actor guy's name, but the girl is Alexandra Dadio. And he's... She was in... Was she in True Detective? Yes. She's like really hot. Yeah. And she had sex with Woody Harrelson and she had a... I can't tits, remember True Detective, but yeah, yeah, she's hot. Yeah, she's she looks really innocent, and then she's ripped. Because I googled yeah. her, and she's been in all these Sports Illustrated shoots and stuff, but she looks really like mumsy and cute in the face. Yeah, yes, yeah, in the face. In the yeah. face. Yeah, in True Detective, it's like she comes in, and then she just like puts Woody Harrelson down, which is crazy because he's like a hundred and fifty and not hot, and then she just like rips off her shirt. Yeah, she's got a bod. So basically, the reason I was like, why? So. In one scene, it's her and her rich husband and they're on their honeymoon and her rich husband is like really fucked off because they booked this honeymoon suite and then they were in the wrong room. So he's having this fight with the resort owner. Mm -hmm. And then the other family that's there is, what's her face, Connie Britton. Love, love her. her. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a great cast. You, oh I haven't God. even gotten to the like best part. Oh, sorry, I just looked it up. Yes, you stupid bitch. Um, Connie Britton, who is famous. And then she, her daughter is Sydney Sweeney, who's like this really cute actress. She's really cool. She's from Euphoria. Yes. And her friend. And they're there at the same time. And they're like reading Freud and hate her mum because her mum works at like Twitter or some big kind of like <laughs> um, search engine company that they think is like ruining the world. And anyway, Sydney Sweeney and her friend who are these teenagers who are like really angsty and hate everything and they're like super socialist. And Alexandra Dadio is at the pool and keeps trying to talk to them and they're just ignoring her because they're like, fuck off. <laughs> and then she takes off her top and then they're both like, wow. And she gets in the pool and there's the slow motion shot of her getting in the pool. And I was like, why are they acting like that? And then Googled it and was like, oh, cause she's a fucking sex symbol. Yeah. But best part ever, Jennifer Coolidge is in it. Love. Yeah. So you know when we were in Paris and we just missed going to the Loewe show, she was at the Loewe show. No. Yeah. We we like. Why didn't we go? Oh, we. We oh, like got back to London yeah. and then we didn't get back there. And it's one show we missed because we got there that afternoon. It was at like nine a.m. and I was like, oh, like Loewe is amazing, but it's fine. And then I saw Jennifer Coolidge, which is just. So random. Icon and status so amazing. yet again. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know her by name, shame on you, but she's <laughs> the nail salon woman in Legally Blonde. She's What's-Her-Face's mum. Stifler's mum. Stifler's mum in American Pie. She's amazing. She's iconic. And the coolest thing about her being in this show is that the guy who made it, I've forgotten his name, but I think it's Mike White. He is really good friends with Jennifer Coolidge in real life. And basically he's wanted to write a show showing off her like actual acting strengths for ages <sighs> because she keeps getting typecast because she has that very specific comedic tone yes. to her that's just so iconic to what she does. And he was just like, I really want to write this amazing show that really shows her off and is this kind of Jennifer Coolidge moment that <sighs> she's never had. And he wrote the show and pitched it to HBO all about her. I think she'd gone to some island or something. And HBO very nearly picked it up, but then they passed on it because they couldn't imagine her in the role. And then they were like, can you create a COVID-friendly show that we can make? And so he just created this show, The White Lotus, on this island and then put... Shame on HBO. I know. And then put Jennifer Coolidge in it as a non-negotiable. So she's amazing. I mean, she hasn't, like, her character hasn't evolved that much yet, but she's just the random woman who's there alone on the oh. in the resort. 
And then I read this vulture profile, which is coinciding with the release of White Lotus. And in it, she instructs the journo who's interviewing her for the piece to make another round of tequila cocktails as she shuffles around the house in these puffy pink slippers. And she's like closing all these doors and turning off all these lights. And then she takes the journo into a dark room with a candle just to show her this weird family heirloom, which is like this dancing doll. And the journo goes, are you going to kill me? And she goes, yes. I am. <laughs> oh my god! So she's like her character, like her characters, is her in real life. She's she's like her character in real life, but then also a bit weirder. I think. Oh my god! And then in the vulture piece as well, it talks about how she went to LA and she was told she wouldn't make it because she wasn't pretty enough. And then so she went to New York, got addicted to coke, kept blacking out and ending up in the ER. Used to lie and say she was the least known Hemingway daughter to get into class. Oh my god, she looks nothing like the Hemingway. So she used to daughter. say she was Muffin Hemingway, and she said, <laughs> "I don't oh know god, what they look call like." The episode Muffin Hemingway. Muffin Hemingway. The, it's the daughter. It's the girl in Manhattan, like that. She looks like. She looks like. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so so funny muffin hemingway so she yeah so she used to say she was muffin hemingway <laughs> to get into clubs in new york and then she said that one time she was so drunk and coked out that um she got kicked out and they screamed at her you're never getting back in here muffin <laughs> <laughs> uh, i loved oh my god we yes. need to get her on this is okay this i know is, she's too major all of these people who yeah this is like my favorite thing to do. It's like why you're wrong about is great. All these people that we are subliminally aware of in Hollywood are always so fucking interesting. I know. And they're just kooks. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm going to talk, talk your ear off about later. But she also, so her parents sent her to rehab. Then she went back to LA and she landed her first role age 32. So there's still hope for us yet. This is like when someone said to us, if you're ever feeling depressed, remember that Debbie Harry started Blondie when she was 30. Yes. And we can be like, if you're ever feeling depressed, remember that Jennifer Coolidge landed her first role at 32. Yes. And that was right before her mum died of cancer. And she said her mum was super proud because she never thought she'd make it. And she like got her first role. So anyway, she's amazing. This show is really good so far. There's only two episodes out, but. I think it's going to be quite major. Okay, I want to watch this. You're very on the ball. Yeah, I very randomly found it. And the only other thing I have to recommend this week is I went on a brief Instagram relapse this morning and had a quick scroll and got completely sidetracked by something Celeb Spellcheck posted, which was a 2014 leaked email that Yolanda Hadid had sent to Bella Hadid when she got a DUI. And I know you know about this. Yeah, so this was a plot point in Real Housewives of Beverly Hills where Yolanda is on – I'm trying to remember whose yacht she's – she's on a yacht with Kyle Richards and her family, I think in Turks and Caicos, and she disappears at dinner. And she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then she comes back and Bella's got a DUI. <laughs> and they kind of try to sweep it under the rug and say, you know, she had two glasses of wine, but she was – Still on her provisional, so she shouldn't have had more than one glass of wine. And it was a silly mistake that they just driven to the convenience store and they very much downplayed it. Now I'm looking at this tweet and I'm feeling very overwhelmed by even the first sentence. <laughs> Bella, I just got your car back from the pond. <laughs> and I was looking for your purse as I stumbled on the most disastrous car I've ever seen in my entire life. Now I'm really in tears and really scared. Who are you? What were you thinking? You've literally turned into a spoiled, unthankful, unthoughtful, careless human being that is lucky to be alive. Okay, so when she says from the pond, she obviously means the pound, right? Yes. But in my head, she's like pulled it out of a, yes. like a pond I just that realized she's driven that. into. Yeah, That's what pound. I thought too. That's a Bella. I just got your car back from the pond. What an eye-opening experience to find beer cans, pink kitty bottles with vodka, bottles with Adderall. Mm. I don't even know what that is. Oh, this is like bad that got leaked. I don't want to read the rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. R- rolling papers in a car full of dirty clothes. Anyway, she like talks a lot about, was your life that terrible at home? Something I didn't realize which you told me, which I don't know, like I knew the Hadid kids grew up rich, but I didn't realize I was watching Beverly Hills just how rich they are. Like Muhammad Hadid, their father has the most insane house in the history of the Housewives franchise. And so... Yolanda so Hadid rich. was married to David Foster for years and they had this insane, insane, insane property and they always had like Stevie Wonder and Diana Ross and all these people at the house. So they just grew up with this obscene level of access wealth, you know, very high echelon 
Yeah, their, their house is insane. And then the letter ends, poor Anwar's life will be ruined. <laughs> poor Anwar's life is going to be miserable. I mean, I do kind of love Yolanda. I feel bad that this email was leaked, but I also don't understand how it was leaked. Neither. It wasn't by one of the parties. Surely it wasn't by one of them. It's bad. I mean, I can't think no. of who, yeah. I know. It just, like, got me reminiscing about teenage years. Bella Hadid's done very well to be as well-adjusted as she seems to be. Yeah. When I crashed my car when I was 17, I was driving illegally. I didn't have a license. And I drove to the movies. I wanted to impress my boyfriend, Charles. And I crashed into a pole. It was my grandparents' car, and I, like, fully fucked, like, really fucked up the car. That was my version of the DUI. Oh, my God. My mum, like, literally nearly strangled me to death. It's quite scary living in, like, 15-year-old drive. I was, I was seven, I was seven, I was 17. I just hadn't, like, got my license. Yeah. But it was just an idiot. I used to steal my mum's car all the time. Did you? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're, Yeah. <laughs> you're way cooler. No, you're late, but you're yeah, okay. You didn't crash. This is my first yeah, time out, and I crashed. I, I fully and my crashed. mom only found out that I was stealing her car all the time because like, I would move the seat and not move it back, which is so obvious when you know That's when you're a driver. Cool. Yeah, but I just didn't know that at the time, and she was just like, I would get in the car and the seat would be forward. Uh, there's always little tricks that you thought you'd done everything yeah, and there'd be like one thing that you fucked up and like mums are so on like mums are so on it but yeah they know when anything's out of place I remember the first time I had sex I came back home and my mum was like did you have sex I was like what oh my god <laughs> like, in my head she's like in the living room and her, her head it's like the back of her head yeah. like she didn't even turn away and I just like creeped through the front door and she was just like did you have sex and I was like no <laughs> Spoiler, she did. I know. Spoiler, she did. I know. It's so yeah. We're gonna be like that though. Yeah, our bullshit radar is gonna be so out of control. I um had a party when Mum was away, and I cleaned the whole house from top to bottom. But also, when you're 16, you don't even know what cleaning is. Yeah, you think you've cleaned it, it and she found a beer bottle in the garden and fucking flipped. (laughs) There'd, there'd been two boys that had like slipped in her bed and everything. It was just such a mess. <laughs> oh, those. Oh, that was yeah. Good old days. It's. I think it's important to be a naughty teenager. I think it like sets you up for life. Yeah, got it all out of my system young. Same. I, I know my sister's it, yeah. so good. I'm just. I, I'm, I'm just like. Oh, I need to it's shake in the you. Post, yeah. Really. Like even now, when people are post lockdown talking about going out, like clubbing and partying again, and I just feel like fifty. I'm like no. Time. I don't miss that at no, all. No, I'm feeling super insular at the moment. Yeah. Not doing anything. Okay. So the cut has published a leaked Sex in the City script. It's one page of a scene that's been scrapped that has reportedly been leaked. And then the cut has gone through it line by line, which is really funny. As predicted, Carrie has a podcast. Oh. The line. Of course. This is her line in it. I mean, I was doing the podcast, I was washing my hair, yes, I wasn't eating or sleeping, but at least I felt good about my marriage. Now I'm just one of the wives he was taking care of. One of the wives. So what does that mean? One of the wives. Does that mean one of the ex-wives, like, because Mr. Big was married three times, that he's, like, giving alimony payments to, or does that mean that he literally had, like, another wife somewhere else? Surely not. That would be a bit crazy. But also, um, his ex-wife... Natasha Najinsky. Natasha was spotted filming on the show. Really? So she's in it, yeah. Okay. And then in the scene, they're all at brunch and Stanford is at brunch. Mm-hmm. So Stanford is replacing Samantha. A good replacement, And the four to be will be fair. all together all the time and hanging out is what people think that that means. And then they're near the part of the restaurant where the waiter keeps knocking them because it's near the kitchen bit. So people think the fact that that's happening is some sort of sign that the gang has been relegated to not getting good tables anymore or something. Mm. And then Carrie goes, let me switch seats with you. I'm used to getting slammed from behind. And everyone was like, she doesn't talk like that. So it was like the sassy sex lines going to Carrie that would were Samantha's. Yeah, that doesn't feel right. Because that doesn't feel like her. That doesn't sit right with me. Okay, so I wrote, is Carrie going to be having Samantha's old horny lines? If so, random. But then 
Second City has been known to release fake press images, fake things from behind the scenes to throw people off the scent. They did a whole fake thing with Kim Cattrall in the first movie where they had her in a wedding dress on a beach. So everyone was did like, they? Yeah, it was oh some, or something like that. So everyone was reporting that the storyline was that Samantha was getting married and then that like threw everyone off the scent that Carrie was having a big wedding and then none of those images got leaked. So this script does feel kind of fake when I'm looking back. A lot of it doesn't really work, that line from Carrie. And, you know, the idea of Carrie doing a podcast, everyone has said it, so it kind of would make sense that they're trying to throw people off by saying, yeah, yeah, she's doing a podcast when actually what they're doing is more interesting than that. Yes. Um, and then I was looking at the comments of New York Magazine and someone says, I won't take this reboot seriously until Carrie sees Big get out of his limo arm in arm with Samantha. Uh, and I was like, oh, my God, yes, that's a, that's what they need to do to explain why they're both not in the show is just make them do one three-second scene oh where my Big God. fucks Samantha and now they're dating and that's why they're not in the show. Oh, my God. Like, the best idea I've ever seen. Oh, my God, imagine. They should do that um, thing they, they did in pop- Star Wars with, like, the AI etching where they should do an AI thing of Chris North and Kim Cattrall to make that happen. I do it for how much money? Because I feel like she's so – she wouldn't want to do it because she wouldn't want the show to succeed without her, I don't think. She hates – Sarah Jessica Parker. Because Sarah Jessica Parker's an executive producer, so she's getting money. Yeah, if there's a good plot yeah it's so, like yeah. that. I know. But imagine if they were just like, we'll pay you $2 million for a three-second three second cameo. Orlando Bloom was getting paid a million dollars a second or something. I'm for, making everything up for Lord of the Rings. <laughs> what Lord of the Rings? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he was getting paid a million dollars. Maybe it was a million dollars a minute. Probably not a second. Oh, I know. He's getting paid a million dollars a second. I was like, for what? You're like, Lord of the Rings. That came out like literally 40 years ago. I know. Everything but if they did that first Samantha. They need to do what they did in Star Wars, which is where they, when Carrie Fisher died, they turned in her into an AI robot and then she appeared in the last movie. For they Samantha. They do that with Samantha. Well, they still need to pay her so much money to do that. Ah, uh, yeah. Copyright <laughs> on her own face. Probably. Um, so that was a great read. I'm still excited to watch Sex in the City. Yeah. I, don't I have know low expectations, I but yes. I'm, like, I'm still excited to Same. watch it. I can't believe it's actually coming back. I feel like it hasn't gone to my brain until just I think that I'm going to feel second. like, like have a little shiver of excitement. Oh, we should it watch starts. it together. Definitely. Um, cat person essay is another thing I want to talk about. Have you seen this? Yeah. So a woman named Alexis Nowicki. <laughs> Why did she say it like that? No what are you? <laughs> just like you feel like there's more though. I was talking before about how um I think both of us, which you guys would obviously know from years of listening to our us our, our stupid voices, is we accentuate random parts of sentences or random parts of words, both of us. When we do separately. ad reads especially, like I'm confused by what, we're what saying. Izzy's emphasizing and Izzy's confused by what I'm emphasizing in yes. a sentence. So this is just then you're like a woman named Alexis Nowicki. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No, no, Nowicki. Nowicki. Anyway. Mm-hmm. She wrote an essay for Slate saying that she is the real life cat person from Cat Person, which is the famous New Yorker uh fictional piece that went viral like three years ago four years ago yeah so it was the first ever kind of viral short story Mm -hmm. it's about a woman who works at a movie theater and she meets this older guy and they exchange jokes about cats and she goes to his house and they have sex and it's gross and she's kind of repulsed by him and then she kind of ghosts him and then he sends her a text calling her a whore, basically. And it's all about power dynamics. and It kind of captures that gross thing that I think a lot of women can relate to where you suddenly get the ick on a date but you're too far into it. Like you're back at their house or you've done foreplay or you've or- you're already at a certain point. And you're just like, may as well get it over you with. are just like, I'm just going to do this because it's easier than not doing this and it's not, you know – after me too we're obviously talking about this whole spectrum of like inappropriate sexual behavior and cat person was really interesting to people because he hadn't been inappropriate she just didn't feel like she had the tools or the language to get out of a situation yes and i think that's what was really interesting about it and then yeah the power dynamics with him being older and more experienced and kind of physically bigger and not intimidating but 
bigger human than her and and it's just that awkward thing of being already at someone's house and then you're like I want to leave, but I don't even know how to say. I've done that. It's just it's just easier to get it over with. Mm. Than it is like to... I think everyone has done that. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, just being it's just even literally being like the awkwardness of just waiting for a cab or them having to drive you home or like I don't know. It's just, but yeah. So that anyway, that's why it went viral, and it was written by a woman called Kristen Rupinian. But and then she was a like a final year grad at writing school or something. She was really young, and it was like a massive deal that she gotten something in the New Yorker so young and then she got like a $10 million book deal or something. She literally just not. She just submitted it to their submissions thing. She knew no one. She just didn't even think it would get picked up and then it got picked up and went crazy viral, which is quite nuts. But then the reason it's in the press right now again is because this woman named Alexis Nowicki has, yeah, written an essay for Slate saying that she's the real life person, that cat person was focused on so she she actually dated cat person and Kristen had taken basically what happened it's kind of confusing but basically what happened is Kristen had met cat person who is called charles in this slate essay he's called another thing in her original essay but we don't know his real name she'd met him and started dating well she'd met him and had like a sexual encounter with him or dated him or something and then she found out that before her, he'd been dating this younger girl who worked in a movie theater who also went to the same college as her and blah, blah, blah. And so what she did for her New Yorker story is she based her experiences with this guy called Charles plus, but then put them into this character called Margot, who's actually based off this real life woman named Alexis. So Alexis like read the story. Alexis said she came out of a movie theater and had like 20 text messages from friends saying, did you write this under a pseudonym? Cause they knew it was so similar to her experience with her ex-boyfriend. And she just thought it was a coincidence. Well, I, I think she thought it was a, I, I think she was like, this is fucking creepy, but how on earth could it be real? Yes. And I, I, I kind of get that as well because the things in it are semi vague in the essay for slate. She says, you know, it was a guy we met at this theater. It was in this town. It was the same town. And I worked at a movie theater and he came in and he ordered this specific candy or something. And that's how we got talking. But I was even thinking when I was a, a teenager, I dated an older guy that I met at a movie. Like I was like, it could feasibly be a coincidence, but both her and the guy who was her ex-boyfriend at that point texted. And he also said, no, this is really weird. But he didn't reference the fact that he knew the writer. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it was it was vague, but it was also not vague because it also said that he wore specific hats. It said what tattoos he had. Um, so she kind of was just like, this is really weird, but then also didn't want to ask. She just didn't want to ask questions because she felt so funny about it. Hmm. So basically she's written this essay where she's been like, I found out that this viral story was written about my life and my relationship and some random woman I've never ever met had like researched my relationship and then wrote about it which is quite creepy and basically the Alexis was saying how did she find out all these things did she stalk me on Instagram did she ask my friends was she just like in the background stalking my life to write this story but basically Charles passed away And then one of his friends got in touch to tell Alexis this and he told her that Charles was cat person. So he confirmed basically that the story was written about Alexis. So then she contacted Kristen who wrote the New Yorker story and was like, what the fuck you've written about my life. And now Kristen is like super, super famous and a bazillionaire. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. And Kristen replied and said, I'm really sorry. You're hundred percent right. It was about you. You know, this was one of the first things I'd ever written and, you know, I didn't think it would go anywhere. So, you know, I absolutely should have gone back and changed a lot of key identifying details, but I just didn't think enough about it and I'm really, really sorry. It's interesting because I guess it goes to that question about, like, I'm sure every great writer or every great piece of fiction has recognizable elements in it to the people in that writer's life because you in some ways are calling on things that you know or relate to or have heard, but obviously there is a kind of responsibility to make sure if it is fully based on a real person that you're at least obscuring. A lot of these things you talked about that were so uncanny could easily have been changed. Yeah. Like the location and details about him and stuff, and it could still be a story about a kind of creepy encounter. Exactly. Yeah, everyone's kind of talking about 
you know, debating the ethics of authors using the details of strangers' lives in their fiction, which is interesting. I think it's funny because I think Alexis's kind of main point in this essay for Slate was that Charles wasn't this horrible person he's painted as. And I and I understand why she would want to kind of correct that on the record because he's now died. And I think a lot of people maybe think that because this quote-unquote fictional story is actually like loosely based on an, a real-life relationship, it's based on this girl's life, mm-hmm. that a lot of people who probably knew Charles think that that's what he was like. Mm-hmm. And that's horrible mm-hmm. for him to now have died. And we don't know how he died, but like for him to now have died and for friends and family and like acquaintances and colleagues and all these people to look at that and think that's exactly what he was like when really you don't know how much of it the writer made up and how much of it was true. Mm-hmm. But also she kind of was saying, he was this really nice guy and he never treated me like this. And it's like, well, then that's that's not a story. Like this girl made a, wrote a story that got published. And the reason it got published is because it talked about a creepy experience with a guy. And if she wrote about meeting a guy and having a nice dandy time at his house and having sex and then having a cup of tea and going home it wouldn't be a a story yeah and like the slate essay alexis says that they like dated for a long time like they were boyfriend and girlfriend for a long time while she was at college and he was much older and she wanted to hang out with college friends and he didn't get on with them and then she didn't get on with his older friends which i think is maybe slightly touched on in cat person like this one encounter where the friendship is weird but yeah, like her experience of it is obviously a completely different one that maybe suits its own story or its own investigation because she's also a writer, obviously. Yeah, she's probably like, you just stole my fucking story. But she never would have written it like that. Yeah, it's also like Alexis writing this piece is now ousting Charles on this level. <laughs> you know what I mean? On this level that it just wouldn't have been otherwise, which is kind of another moral dimension of it. It's kind of like mm. when... Natalie wrote that piece for the cut about Carolyn Calloway. It's not exactly the same, but it's that thing of you're using your proximity to fame to get your big break and like the ethics exactly, around that. Exactly, yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's so interesting. That's basically why she wrote this. It's kind of doing worse than what Kristen did by writing it because it's like identifying being like, I'm the person and my ex-boyfriend to anyone who knows me <laughs> will know that he's the creepy guy, but he's not that creepy. <laughs> Yeah. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Should we go on to this menace of an influencer? Mm-hmm. Okay, on to Garrett's door, an influencer being a menace. Basically... It's kind of an interesting New Zealand-centric piece. Basically, this New Zealand magazine ensemble, which we've talked about before when they did that lonely lingerie Mm -hmm. piece, they've done a big kind of deep dive into Garrett's daughter, who used to be this massive influencer a few years ago. She was kind of dubbed the, the first ever like bloggery influencer person she was on the business of fashion 500 she was called by the new york times the guardian of all style and then in like 2015 she randomly gave up on her career in fashion she moved from new york to la she also at the time dated the satorialist scott schumann schumann mm-hmm. and they were kind of an it couple back then anyway she posted kind of surprising everyone a while ago when she 
posted this picture of Wellington, New Zealand during COVID last year saying that she was really lucky to call that place home during the pandemic. And everyone was like, what the fuck? Why are you, why are you in New Zealand? And then she coyly admitted that she'd moved to New Zealand for love and was living there before she then started posting a thousand photos of her traveling around the world again all over the show. And then she came back to New Zealand, which is obviously still fully in lockdown. I'm actually kind of confused about how she got in since she's not a New Zealand citizen. This is what I was confused about. So the criticism against her is obviously that she's been, she's acting as if COVID isn't happening and is just jet setting around every corner of the globe on like quite a frenzied state. At first I thought, oh, maybe people are being, you know, they're sensitive because everyone's in lockdown or whatever, but it's literally like May 20th in LA, May 26th in Cornwall, May 31st in France, France in LA, back in New Zealand, yeah. out of New Zealand, back yeah. in like Scotland. It's so weird. And it's also so weird to me that she's just been posting it all the time as if it's normal. Yes. And it's kind of taken up till now for it to catch up with her. I think because... European travel has been a little bit more ad hoc and open than maybe people don't notice as much. But in terms of going in and out of New Zealand, obviously people in New Zealand and Australia are dealing with such insanely restrictive like lockdowns and quarantines and border restrictions that it is, yeah, like you say, just bizarre that she's even been able to do that. Yeah, because I thought if you weren't a New Zealand passport holder, you like literally can't get into the country. But she must have a visa or something that's allowing her in. But also the other – so the reason it's been pulled up now is because she started posting kind of anti-science, anti – what people are calling anti-vax rhetoric on her Instagram account, which has 700,000 followers. She's in France at the Mo, and she was posting about how the government's gone back into lockdown and rah, rah, rah. So then people kind of started looking at the fact that, you know, she's in – this position where she's criticizing the government for lockdowns while at the same time having the privilege to travel the world and, you know, live like that when obviously people are dying. Yeah, so she said, no discussions about vaccination or no vaccination here. Your body, your integrity, whatever your choice, I respect it and support it thoroughly. I simply want to stand today with the people of France in peacefully expressing their discontent over recent restrictions of our hard-earned freedoms. I never took them for granted and I always knew <laughs> <laughs> that they would have to be protected with courage and determination when the time came. This might be the day. This is my for my brother who is a restaurateur and doesn't know how he'll stay open and feed his family. This is for my friend who is a sick teenager that she cannot vaccinate and who therefore might be deprived of his right to go to school. So when I first read this, I felt like it wasn't anti-vax so much as it was like a f- very Francois anti politically in France they're like very anti-government enforcing restrictions against the people's will and it's less to do with the science of it and more to do with this kind of obsession with the history of the country and them their hard fought right to freedoms etc but obviously reading it out you can't like divorce it from the context which is acting as if getting vaccinated or not vaccinated are two equally yeah, it's good just, alternative. Yeah, 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 just being yeah. like, oh, it's your, it's your body, your choice. Like, it's being like, like whether you drink milk or not. Yeah, and even just being like your body, your choice, as if it's you know to do with terminating a pregnancy. It's like if you terminate a pregnancy, that's to do with your own body, mm-hmm. and if you don't get a vaccine, it's to do with uh, people around you that you could literally kill. So yeah, she and the examples that she uses are kind of contradictory because she's saying this is my brother who's a restaurateur, which is obviously an extremely valid thing. Every single time there's a lockdown, it really affects people's livelihoods. And then saying, and this is also for my friend who has a sick teenager who she can't vaccinate. Whereas it's like the lockdown measures are really good for the second thing. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> yeah the because lockdown measures are good because you're sick. The yeah, girl needs everyone to be vaccinated. Yes, because if she can't for health reasons, then yeah. other people need to be. So she's not gonna like yeah. be as susceptible to catching it. It obviously just feels confused, and she's she's getting piled on now, and it's obviously calling into question all of her. Well, Diet Prada shared it. So Ensemble wrote this piece and then I don't even know how Diet Prada saw it, but they shared it, so it's gone crazy. What I find nuts about the whole thing is. I don't think we've talked about this on the pod before, but New Zealand's quarantine situation, the hotel quarantine thing is like so manic 
basically it is completely booked up till December. So it's July right now and you literally cannot get a spot to get home until December. Um, I have friends that are like frantically looking every single day to see if someone's changed travel plans so that they can get into the country. And then David Farrier, who's a New Zealand journalist, the guy behind our favorite doco, Tickled. Tickled. Oh my God, we need to get him on the pod. He would come, I think he would come on the pod. Yeah. He, he's great. He's, he's really funny. Um, and he wrote a big piece about how he like stupidly went to LA for a work assignment because he just thought he would be able to hotel quarantine when he got back and pay for it because it's $3,000. And then he has been in LA and he literally cannot get home. So he's just stuck there. And um, then he investigated and found out that there's all these bot websites. So people are paying bots to uh, refresh the pages for them and find out when there's a free spot. So like you literally cannot get a spot if you're a normal human being. So it's just completely, it's like, like the system is, broken well this is what i was curious about because people were criticizing grants for going in and out of new zealand and my first reaction was well if she's going in and out of new zealand obviously she's you know they're not letting people come in and stay and then releasing them obviously she's applying for visas and doing the quarantine and is following regulations so even though it's annoying like why is it so bad but I guess what I'm realizing like you said is that it's the privilege of there's all of these people who are citizens who are having to wait months and months on end and have maybe sick loved ones or it's really affecting their mental health being away from home but the fact that are they like trying I have friends trying to literally move home and they can't and they just can't right and this woman's like jetting in and out like it's just a holiday destination Mm. but I guess that is coming from the fact that if you can afford a business class flight sometimes that means you can get across when other people are on four-month wait lists or you can pay for the quarantine when other people are waiting because they can't pay for the quarantine until that's finished. There's like obviously all of these elements that are really tied to wealth and money and access. Yeah. And also I read that Garance was on a Auckland Writers Festival panel and they think she might have been able to bypass the queue because of that reason or something. So it's obviously very connected to like celebrity and influence and mm. all of those things. I wonder who her welly lover is. He's I looked him up he's Scottish. What's his deal? He's a sexy guy that was in that what's that fucked up time travel fucked show? Outlander or whatever. Oh, I don't know. It's so weird. So Right, popular. so he's not a Kiwi. He's not a Kiwi, but he's been filming in Kiwi for he he lives <laughs> in, in Kiwi. He either lives in New Zealand. Or maybe he is no, he's Scottish. He's definitely Scottish. Mm-hmm. He either lives in New Zealand full time or he's there for a long period and she's gone to visit him. And then yeah, because heaps together. of people, are fil- like, it was so random when I was home and I saw obviously Kirsten Dunst, saw Benedict Cumberbatch, saw all these I mean, this, this is kind of the thing that I want to talk to you about is like, I do feel as if a lot of celebrities have jetted in and out of Australia and in and out of New Zealand and then gone on to other places. Well, yeah, Rita Ora not... and Taika Waititi yeah, were having their Sydney like, romance. No one was angry at her for being in Australia and she's obviously going to come back to England and then go on to probably Greece and then go on to something else. I think it's kind of interesting. I think this wouldn't have been a story firstly if she hadn't posted that weird anti-vaccine because then it came across as very hypocritical. Yeah. But I also think that. Well, it's, like it's Hayley... because she's advertising it in a way that celebrities don't because they like to be under the radar. It's like no one's angry at Kirsten Dunst and her husband for going and filming a project in New Zealand and then going, going back home. home. Yeah, No one's angry at like Hayley Bieber and Justin Bieber who were just in Europe on a vacation, Dua Lipa's in Mexico. It's just it's literally that thing now where people who have money and people who have privilege are traveling. I think my friend said the other day that the States feels – completely divided because there's LA and New York who are just living completely normally. I think they've just recently in LA anyway introduced wearing masks again indoors. But that like living completely normally and acting like the pandemic's over and then there's this whole millions and millions of people in the country who aren't vaxxed and are still in the throes of the pandemic. Like this is the now the craziest time where for Hayley Bieber and Justin Baldwin they'll be fully vaxxed. Like sw- switch their names. Hayley Bieber and Justin, Justin Baldwin. <laughs> I wish they did do that. That would be very progressive. That's cute. Yeah. Their names are so similar. Mm -hmm. Um, For them. Soulmates. Soulmates. I know. I'm like weirdly obsessed with them at the moment. (laughs) Fucking cute little cheer-ups. 
I know. For them, traveling to Europe would feel completely normal because they'll be fully vaxxed and we'll do the quarantine thing and we'll follow all the rules. But well, then- this is what I was confused about with this where I said, you know, we can technically travel now and a lot of people I know are traveling and I'm looking at traveling and, you know, there's some precautions you have to do. We're both fully vaccinated and you can't travel to your 14 days after being fully vaccinated, which we're waiting for. But then when we can, you know, we just ha- we have to pay for the test to travel test to release or whatever, which is obviously a privilege having an extra, you know, 100, 150 pounds to do that. But I think the thing that's confusing now and the thing that's always been a bit confusing is that there's like the government line in terms of what's legal and not legal. And then there's attitudes about what you should and shouldn't do on a moral level that has yeah. nothing to do with the legal yeah. restrictions. And I think this is the point where it's colliding where with Garant's door she's what I was saying before is like she hasn't the fact that she's gone to each of these places is evidence that it was okay for her to go to each of these places because she just would have been kicked out if she wasn't legally allowed to so she obviously did the quarantines when she needed to and did the test to release when she needed to in order to do all of this stuff Mm. but the question is whether or not you think it's right that she should do that and I guess that's where like this becomes down to people's personal yeah exactly preferences. exactly like every like a lot of people because when you when you think about it when you read into this and people are being like it's such a fucking privilege to travel around the world when this virus is still killing millions that's that is the truth of it and it's like people in australia and new zealand can't really do that yeah or people like you know david Ferrier did that but then he can't, he can't get back to the country so yeah, what do you do he travelled to LA, oh, right. but he can't get back to New Zealand now, Yeah, yeah. for example. So you can't – oh, my God, I've made myself bleed. Have you? <laughs> Picking, Picking my face. face. Um, so I guess it's – yeah, it's that hard thing again where it feels like countries are ganging up on each other, you know, with the – don't know. Everyone just – like, obviously, I think people probably would find it fucked if they saw us travelling. But then it's like every single person in – not every single person, but like everyone we know is currently in Europe and we're all fully vaxxed and those are the rules. And you have to do a thousand tests. You have to pay money and you have to quarantine once you get back to London and you have to do all these things to make sure you're safe. But at the same time, it's like... And those are precautions to make sure you're not doing the thing that people are criticizing, right? Those precautions you're putting in place to make sure that you keep your community safe. You know, they're not just no, annoying things course, that you have to but, do. It's like we're doing those things, like we're doing those things because the government is mandating doing those things to make sure that you're being as safe as possible, even when you're double vaccinated. And it's just yeah. like if that's what scientists have like put in place as the precautions. Yeah, of course. And then you see the Olympics going ahead, and it's yeah, like fucking yeah. hell. We're like just want to get out of London, where we've been, you know, for whatever time. And then they're flying eighty thousand people to Tokyo who have all now got COVID. It's all, yeah. yeah, it's all just a mess, basically. I just don't think you're going to be able to please everyone, but I also don't think you should be posting anti-vax rhetoric and anti-science rhetoric to 700,000 people. You should just, I just shut think, the fuck up. Yeah, my reaction on that was saying, oh, maybe it doesn't necessarily mean this or that or we're taking a negative interpretation, but you were just like, but no, like why would you why would you choose to use a platform of that size to say anything that even opens up that conversation? It's just such a head in the clouds, not in touch with reality way to speak and it can have a really negative influence on people so why would you do it and you're 100 percent right it's just stupid yeah it's but ridiculous. she's so drenched in her privilege that she won't even re- she won't even she knows it's not going to affect her personally whether it goes left or right so it's just kind of tossing your hat into the ring because it's kind of fun and interesting to you instead of coming from a place of genuine concern it's it's similar to the leandra medine thing last yeah. week it's just it's just like immense privileged and lack of awareness of the world around you i mean i don't understand the spending the whole last 12 months ping-ponging around europe and la and new zealand and yeah especially new zealand i was like petrified when i went home last march before lockdowns started i was honestly like terrified that i was gonna be a covid case that gave new zealand covid yeah 
let alone just coming in and out because you feel like it's quite, I know. quite crazy. So speaking of the Olympics, um, we talked about this. We've talked about this in a few episodes, I think, randomly, and we both have said that the Olympics just on paper doesn't sound like an interesting topic, but it's so interesting when you actually I know, I never, <laughs> start talking about what's going on. I never watch it except for I will watch the gymnastics. Yeah. Love the gymnastics. And the ice skating. Oh, yeah. And then I don't Tanya. think I've watched anything else. Um, yeah I'll yeah I yeah I guess I'm just you know in Australia the Olympic Games happened at a very like pivotal age for me like I think I was I can't remember oh they were in Sydney you mean they're in Sydney yeah. about eight or nine so it was like absolute Olympics hysteria yeah I watched at, at a very influential young age so I feel like I have this olympics fever not that i watch it but i have this reverence for it that i think if you didn't grow up with it happening in your childhood you probably don't give a shit no i don't give a shit but i watched who was that that sprinter kathy oh kathy freeman i watched yeah um yeah that's what her kathy freeman one yeah when the olympics like a few weeks ago randomly i can't remember if i've already said this in the pod and i started crying did you yeah it was very iconic that's yeah. what i mean that kathy freeman won it was a very iconic like moment in australian history so basically the Olympics has gone ahead in Japan despite the fact that only 22% of the population of Japan think that the Olympic Games should have happened. Which is horrible. And I reckon that's even generous. You'd be so scared. They're scared of a hypervariant happening, which is completely fair, fair enough. They're scared of all these people from all over the world coming into Japan. They're worried that the infrastructure isn't in place to protect the country. And basically the Japanese government was bullied by the Olympics body into hosting this games, even though they wanted to push it back a year. Didn't they say it was going to cost like 17 million to postpone it? Or like more, it was like a billion, billion or something. Or something. Yeah. They, they were going to sue the Japanese government for not doing it basically mm. because they make all of their money off the streaming rights and they were arguing they wouldn't get as much streaming in 2020. Oh, because we're not all at home. No, because of the World Cup soccer would have been at the exact same time. So they're saying it would have split viewership. Probably. Which is so selfish. It's a pandemic. I know, we're talking about the stupid French influencer when the Olympics are just like you have to fly 80,000 people to one spot. To one spot. And it's just sad because, you know, it could have been a really nice thing to bring people together and whatever if it happened at a time where we felt a little more past it, whereas right now it feels a little bit frivolous and random because we all still feel very much in the thick of COVID. So the New York Times wrote a great piece called Let the Games Be Gone, and it was basically about how the Olympics not has always been irrelevant but has always been rooted in, like, so many other institutions we've talked about, like a very specific type, like white male (laughs) excellence Hmm. and how the – governing board of the olympics hasn't really adapted with the times which is why you see something like all these athletes being forced to compete in the middle of a global pandemic to suit the whims of like a handful of powerful billionaires and we talked about shikari richardson the other week getting kicked out because she was caught smoking weed and just how kind of irrelevant it makes the whole thing if you're the best athletes aren't competing now a whole bunch of the best athletes have literally re- landed in Tokyo and have all tested positive for COVID, so they've all had to pull out of the Olympics. Oh, my God. So, it, like, Coco Goff, who was that amazing Wimbledon tennis player I was talking about who bit Venus Williams when she was 15 years old, has had to pull out of the Olympics because she has COVID. Like, it's just such a mess. So many people. It's crazy. So this New York Times piece wrote, in short, the Olympics are built on excess. They're tangled in geopolitics. They're rife with corruption and cheating. Each Olympic cycle raises uncomfortable questions about sustainability, environmental damage, and human rights. So this is basically just coming to a head even more because it's showcasing how they don't care if the most talented people are competing. They don't care if the athletes are as healthy as possible. They just care about getting like the viewing figures on the show, at which point you're like, well, why are we supporting an institution like this? And also, like, it's stupid because people watch for people like Shikari Richardson. If that's what you care about, 
yeah. let the girl smoke a blunt and then go and run her 100-meter sprint because people are watching because of her. Like, I really liked Coco Goff when I was watching Wimbledon and I'd probably watch her games in the Olympics. But, you know, like, I think they don't get the fact that people are really invested in specific players, not in the, the Olympics as a whole it's so much. It's this arrogance that Simone has... Biles, like... Yeah, it's this arrogance that has existed across so many of these institutions and the ones that have kind of abandoned that idea that the institution is so important, it doesn't matter who's a part of it are the ones that are falling apart and dying and the ones that are recognising that an institution is only as good as the people that represent it are the ones that are doing really well. I think what people are – what the New York Times piece was talking about in terms of, like, human rights and environmental damage is that basically the Olympics committee who set it up each year they've been accused just like fifa have been accused of kind of taking bribes in terms of where they decide to stage the olympics and also you have to build the infrastructure for it to be possible to like have all of the tourists and stuff so in brazil with the rio games there was all of these accusations of kind of semi-slave labor to create these completely impossible stadiums and spaces in order to cater to the crowds and to the climates that the um, competitors needed to be a part of they had to do it in such a short amount of time that they just did it in these like very unethical ways and the same has happened with Qatar for the World Cup with soccer they've like I can't remember what the latest statistic was but like the amount of people that have died building the stadium where it's going to be played already is like obscene oh my god yeah there's a random area in London with the big Olympic stadium and all these yeah. like random apartment blocks around that obviously hosted people and it just looks like a barren wasteland now. It is just a weird thing and it's like you, you know, I'm not a huge sports person so I don't want to be disparaging and say, why do you even care? Because I understand that sports builds communities and it brings people together and it's family generational thing. And it's very emotional for people so I don't want to say get rid of this massive sport event because I don't know but it's just – if it's rooted in all of this badness. Bad vibes. Bad vibes. I guess we just shouldn't support it. But it's like, this is what always sucks. It's like all of these individual athletes have been training their entire lives and deserve to have this moment in the sun and deserve to have their like incredible hard work recognized. But then you don't like the institution. It's like the Oscars. Yeah, literally. Yeah. It's so unfair. On to... Jado moments of the week. Yes. So Prince Harry's writing a book. Don't. I know. What's he doing? He's just all over the show. He just said yes. He just said yes to everything. I think that he's just a, in his he's, he's just a an enlightened pea brain who you know, like he literally just wants to spread the word of God to people. He just wants to be like <laughs> he's gonna write. He's gonna write like White Fragility too with yes. Robin D'Angelo or something. Yes, yeah, that's Prince Harry, and so he'll just he'll just he just wants to help anyone where he can, but he's just a little idiot, so it's just stupid. But apparently, like the juicy parts that the royal family didn't know until very recently. In quotes. That he was writing this book. Do you think post Oprah and they were just like, oh my God. Oh yeah, my God. no, like yeah. as in I think two days before we found out, they found out. He's just writing himself out of that will. No Kensington Palace going to Prince he Harry, no fucking Frogmore Cottage. Yeah. I don't know if it's because the pandemic happened and they were a bit estranged, so he just went full socialist foot on the accelerator i don't care i'm gonna do it all i'm doing the oprah show i'm doing the oprah interview i'm doing the podcast i'm doing duck shepherd i just don't care and now that he's kind of seeing the family again and stuff he's a bit like i don't know but i yeah i feel like maybe he maybe he's just like that enlightened that he just doesn't care about money and he obviously cares about money. Well, the funny thing about that, actually, is it says everywhere that all of the book proceeds sale from sales will be donated to charity, but it doesn't say that he's donating the money Penguin Random House paid him for the book to charity. No. And the Daily Mail, the, I don't know why it's on the Daily Mail, uh, estimate that he was paid $20 million to write the book. I was going to say he would be paid $20 million because... Um, this is something I found out the other day, which I don't think we've talked about before, but his personal expenses per year. So this is his press secretary, security, the whole in like the apparatus behind Prince Harry that's existed since he was 18 that he now has to pay for. That's why when he was having a cry about I got cut off, is three million US three million pounds per year. 
That's a lot. That's like six million Australian dollars. Surely you can cut. He back can on cut costs, but he's a pea brain. So I'm like, he has got the eleven million dollar house. He's got six million dollars in outgoings per year, without kids, everything, and he's got a very short time limit on how long he's bankable for money wise. Yeah. So I was going to say he needed to be getting paid like $20 million for that book deal for sure. And he's such a liar being like, oh, proceeds. No, yeah, proceeds no from it. sales it's to like charity. I was like, you book would have been the same. Shit. Yeah, quite interesting. Voice um, over work. <laughs> other Jade moment is Leandra Medine pretending the podcast episode from last week didn't ever happen. On one hand, I respect it. In that it's kind of funny, but on the other more serious hand, I think it's like a disgraceful indictment of privilege because she it's can so just ignore insane. it and she'll still be fine. Like she's not she, like she's lost half a million followers or anything. Like no one seems to care. She just re- so she just started posting on Instagram her normal outfit post, didn't say one thing, and just limited comments on her post, and then sent out her usual idiom about like what to wear when it's warm weather. She was like, how to wear cutoffs in the summer or something. <laughs> yeah crazy the next episode was meant to come out like right now and rachel's pushed it back another week really i want to kill her Mm, why (laughs) she said on the patreon i'm really sorry but it's really important that i get this episode right and me and sebastian love sebastian are still tweaking and i don't want to rush it out the gate until i'm absolutely sure especially because of the backlash and she released a very good thoughtful apology for her anti-semitic comments so we have to wait another week for part two. And I did wonder if Leandra was waiting for part two so it was all out in the open before she addressed it. Um, but now I just think she's just going to do ignore the old Bill Bill and Hillary Clinton trick. Deny till you just, die. Just shamelessness being like, I just, not nah. Just doubling down. Not going to apologize. Zero not going to be embarrassed. Yeah. The other thing that's not Jade, we've talked about it already in the podcast this week, but I just want to quickly touch on Bella Hadid's cute little muffin normie boyfriend, normcore boyfriend. Yeah, I like him. His name's Mark. He's like an art director or something and he works with... He Well, yeah. Who does he work with? He he did Travis Scott's album That's artwork. Right. Yeah, cute. His one um, thing that everyone keeps quoting because no one knows anything about him. He looks cute apparently they've been secretly dating for a year i love this for her same um it's got like husband energy to me i think he just has no what i think (laughs) he has is i think she has gone through i keep saying enlightened but ditto to prince harry bella hadid's fully into the crystals and i think what's happened is she dated the weekend and that was hot but would have been manic and horrible probably behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and then i think she was just like okay i need to find myself someone who'll treat me right and then she's found this kind of normal kind of boring guy that all her friends are like he treats you right but what is there to him this is what i'm just picking up from nothing except for like three photos no i feel like he's her he's just that guy that you end up breaking up with later don't you think he's her dalton whatever the fuck his name is ariana grande's Real estate oh, yeah. agent. Yeah. I think he's that. He's her, like, again, going off one paparazzi photo. I think I Dalton's think... got um, swag. Do you think? Yeah. I've seen some pics of him. He's quite hot and he's quite stylish. But I feel also... like this guy would be like that. I feel like this guy would be, Probably, like, yeah. Hot, I mean, yeah, she wouldn't go out with someone random, but I was just thinking, I remember the guys that I dated when I was younger and I look back now and I just feel like, I feel like I would have been like, oh, my God, he's so amazing. He's so great. And then I look back and I'm just like, God, it was just. I can imagine after going out with someone where you're very much outshone because they're like the superstar and you're kind of the plus one, even though you're very famous, going into a relationship where you kind of get to feel the full weight of being like the everyone's eyes are on you when you walk into the room person would be quite nice. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Bella Hadid's iconic. She's like really great yes i really like her dui only adds to the (laughs) the 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 shambles car in the pond just the adds to it (laughs) bottles of adderall in the car um okay bye guys bye
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.